welcome to What Does the Smart Party Do? Episode 3. I'm Evil Gaz, and with me as always is King Baz. Hi everybody, and uh, today's question is, what would the Smart Party do with problem players? Okay, guys, come on in. Hit me up. What would you do with problem players in your group, or have you done with problem players in your group? So I guess one of the first things we should do is, is identify what we mean by problem players. I think if someone's genuinely a massive problem, then the answer is obviously get them out of your group. If they've got a player style that just won't gel with yours at all, what are you doing playing with them? I think we've both been down the road of spending days, weeks, months with someone that actually isn't going to work with your player style. And the, the final solution there is just get different groups because neither is going to make each other happy. So that's the first thing to say, get out of the way. Boom. Problem solved. Then, yeah, I think that's it. Next podcast. Yeah, see you next time. <laughs> uh, so I guess another thing is trying to get your balance right because some players uh, will be quite happy sitting back, not really saying very much, but still quite enjoy the game. Other players want to jump in and have their say all the time and sit right next to the GM and tug on his shirt sleeves every two seconds with their new great idea. So one thing I suppose we've got to look at is how do you get your balance right and then how do you move people around? Because I think that's one of my first solutions. If you've got people that's are perhaps too quiet and some that are a bit too noisy, quite a simple first step is just move them around the table. So the guys that are really quiet and struggling to be heard or perhaps aren't hearing what you're saying and that's why they're quiet, get them sat next to you. And if there's someone who throws the voice and wants attention all the time, move them towards the back because they'll make themselves heard if they want to be. What do you reckon to that? Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. I'd call out the icing on the cake because I think if you've got a group of players and your game isn't singing and dancing and moving a few people around the table is going to solve that, you probably had a pretty good game in the first place. I think, you know, that's that's what I would put down to call fine-tuning. Um, I think before you get to that, you've got a, you have got a choice, as you led off with, with who you've got sat at your table in the first place. And that's got to be the biggest influence on the group dynamic that you have and in some ways the function of your game. So maybe we could step back to that. But to address your point directly, I think there's an awful lot you can do with the environment that will help out the feel of the whole game. But I think it is environmental. I don't know if it massively affects one player over another or really improves their game uh, or or maybe even improves yours. I, I don't know if I'm entirely convinced that that kind of thing would affect an individual so much as a group. Maybe. So when you talk about environmental things, I know one of the, the sort of things I've had trouble with in the past is I thought some nice music might be all right or some sound effects or things like that that can be quite distracting mm. uh, rather than atmospheric. But even artifacts, I think it's the artifacts, things that people mess around with. You stick but poker chips in front of some players, they can't help but clack them together and count them and restack them. Yeah. You put some candles on the table, someone has to pour a pencil in it till the wax pisses all over the your nice table and so on and so forth. Mm. I think you, it's good to have sort of artifacts and things uh, that represent the game, but too many or too fiddly, I think it just means people mess about with them rather than concentrate on what's happening in the imaginary world. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff that, isn't it? Because it, it comes into the category, I guess, of distractions. And, you know... One person's uh, careless plaything is another person's fingernails down the blackboard. Um, and I guess the poster child for this kind of distraction activity in the last 10 years, at least, is the smartphone. Oh, my God. Uh, and now there, there's a divisive, uh, a divisive device, if you will. Um, it, people cannot leave the damn things alone. Uh, and I'm as guilty of that as absolutely anyone. Uh, we've got some pretty good social etiquette. In, in some places, like if you're at the movies, and it does have to be called out at the start of a film, doesn't it? You know, get your mobile, put it away, turn it off. There's work environments where, again, it has to be said out loud. Is there any reason why we can't say that stuff out loud in games? Because I've got to admit, I don't hear it very often at cons, which is when you're with a bunch of strangers. Um, and I actually hear more complaints about mobile phone use at con games than I do at home games, and, and maybe that's for obvious reasons. Con games and home games are very different, and you get different types of challenges and problems in them. But that distraction is something else, and it really does wind people up. You never see the GM on the phone. Maybe they're just too busy. It, it, it's it's simply a player thing, isn't it? I'm, I think, more tolerant about it than many. Um, 
I alternate sort of role-playing games with board games and card games and all kinds of games on a weekly basis. And it doesn't seem to be as much of a pain when people are board gaming and it's not their go. It seems to be perfectly acceptable to have a quick look on Twitter or whatever. I'm all right with that. But, and I don't want to be a conversation cop or that kind of GM where it's my way or the highway. But yeah, in a role-play session, it's it's bordering on rude. I don't know. I suspect you've got a different word for it, guys. What do you feel about phones at table? Pretty rubbish most of the time. Mm. I think the difference with a board game is uh, you cannot be paying attention to the game. It, well, it depends on the game, but quite often you cannot do anything. You can mess about, text your mates, whatever else you want to do, check Facebook. Yeah. And then look back at the game board and immediately see what's going on. But the thing you tend to find in role-playing games is someone is not their goal will be messing around with the phone. Then mm. you say, Dave, it's your turn. He goes, all right, what's happening? And you have to recap everything that's just happened to the player so they can then carry on with his goal. So it's not only jarring for, for him, it's sort of like he's, he's keeping all the other players waiting while they just recap what they've already done mm. because he wasn't paying attention or she wasn't paying attention. And I think that's why it's it's hard work is because you can't you can't text and keep around the rod when you're driving. It's the same sort of thing in role-playing games. There's no pause button for the other half of your activity. You're just totally disengaged because you're concentrating on something else. No, it's so a- I think it's a bit of a... It's a lack of respect for other people's time at that point, isn't it? If, if you kind of cause a bit of a, a stumbling block or a, a, a series of actions to go longer than they need to because you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, it's a good analogy. Time. Yeah, yeah. The, the texting while you're driving thing, I can absolutely, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, I guess what we've got to try and decide here is, because pre-smartphone, it was people spinning dice or playing with candles or, or, or any kind of little gonk that's on the table. They just can't leave the blooming thing alone. And it doesn't matter what it is that people are playing with with their hands. It's it's the lack of engagement at that particular time that is the problem, isn't it? Because if you snapped back with a question like, um, it's your go, Dave, and they, they were absolutely on it, even though they were busy with their hands before and they were in the game and they just reacted, it's kind of less of a problem, clearly. But because they, some people can't seem to work ears and fingers at the same time, that's where the problem is. Um and and it is it is a little bit of a lack of respect, isn't it? Because I, I want to be really careful in this. When I was doing my limited prep for this podcast, I thought I wrote down a whole list of problem players, and I want to be really careful that it's only a problem if it's a problem. If it's just like something that annoys you slightly, I don't know if that falls into the category of problem. But clearly, people who are sat down at the table and not playing the game has got to be an issue because by default they ain't in your game. And, and, and sometimes it's not even distracted people. I've seen people fall asleep. Not in many of my games, I have to admit, I ain't that bad because it does make you question your skills when you see people snoring at the other end of the table. But what's that about? That's like at the extreme end of the spectrum of someone who's showed up and they're, they're, they're not even playing on a phone. They are, oh, and they're not even turtling. I'm sure we'll cover that later. They are checking out. And often this is at a con and they may even have paid money for the privilege I mean, it's a cheap hotel rate, but come on. Why would you sit there for four hours and not actually engage at all to the level of like putting your head on the desk and having a good old snuzz? I don't buy it. What's up with that, guys? I, I don't know. I, I guess a, a couple of things. There. First of all, I think I'll just add in something you were saying about problem players is uh, this isn't just us sitting here and trying to like, you know, if people try to identify individuals or something, that's not it because some of the behaviours you'll mention are probably things that you and I have done. So at some totally. point, you know, we might have been the problem players that somebody else they need to deal with. So we're not raising ourselves above anybody else there. It's all, it's, it's behaviours rather than individual people. So that's probably fair saying. I have had a game at Conception, I think it was. I did have a, someone who was narcoleptic in my game. So at that point when they fell asleep, you know, it's not really their fault. However, nobody told me until after the game. So it's, wow. it's one of those where if you can't know someone's got a condition, then it might be worth just mentioning to the GM in advance and then he can work around that. But yes, I've, I've, I've seen the similar sort of things where people fall asleep or even to the extent of someone who's laid down underneath the table while everybody else is playing on the table above them. Under the table? I don't understand. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand that kind of like lack of social awareness that you wouldn't do it, I don't know, would you do it in the pub? Would you do it round your grand's house or something would you just sort of go on board of this and just lie down and go to sleep and you could say well everybody has tea and cakes well i think you know if you there's the old saying isn't there in poker like if you can't tell who the mug is around the table it's you so 
there's got to be an element of that when it comes to am I so bored in this game that I am feeling sleepy and want to crawl under the table? It's got to be more courteous, less rude, and, and ultimately easier to do than to just next time there's a break, wander over to the GM and say, listen, no offence, this isn't for me. I'm going to slip off and get some, some Zeds in this afternoon. I'm not really feeling it. Nobody would object to that, would they? It's, it's like some kind of weird form of aggressive social behaviour to just like, you know, start snoring out loud at the table. I, I, I can't think, apart from the narcolepsy or a medical condition or something like that, I genuinely cannot think of, it, of an excuse for that. To go back to your texting while driving, sleeping while driving has got to be even worse. That's not on. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, do, you, do you think there's a lack of sort of permission for people to say they want to leave a game? I think that could be part of it. I've sat through so many games with me or someone else just blatantly in the wrong place at the wrong time and don't want to be there. And I've got to the stage now where I'm, I'm pretty good at sort of saying, look, this is, just isn't for me. I need to sort of go. But but even then, <clears throat> I quite frequently get GMs saying, like, oh, no, give it another half an hour and we'll, we'll include you more and we'll do this and we'll do that. Mm. And I know it's not going to get better for me. It never does. But then you sort of feel awkward and you have to stop for the half an hour when you know you don't want to. And you still get to the next break and go, look, I just want to leave. Mm. So is there some sort of thing needed, certainly at conventions, where we, we kind of say it's, it's okay to leave if you want to, or that it's, you know, GMs let people go if they want to? Yeah. Some people seem to have a hard time saying they want to leave, but then conversely, some people have a hard time letting players go, bizarrely. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, this is supposed to be fun, right? No matter whether you're playing at home or at a club or at a con, it's supposed to be fun. Uh, and especially at a con game, you're, you're giving up a proportion of your con for any game um, and if it's a two-day con and you've got a morning session you're looking at a quarter maybe a fifth but usually a quarter of your entire fun budget is about to be spent on this game if you ain't getting into it and you know in your heart of hearts that it's you that isn't getting into it so there's no need to get the other five people around the table to change just for your whims then you've got to check out but there's loads of ways of checking out with grace of course there is, and, and, and this, and God knows, guys, you and I are not going to tell people how to behave socially in the general terms, right? Because that's way beyond the scope of this podcast. But we know what's wrong when we see it, okay? And I think passive-aggressive behaviour or trying to get yourself killed, or, oh, man, there's a can of worms type. There's stuff that people do, and this is going to be one of my general rules for this cast, right? If there's stuff you want to do in the real world, don't try and influence it by doing things in your make-pretend world, right? So if you want to get rid of a player from your group, don't do it by killing their character. Man up, tell the player. If you don't want to play in the game anymore, don't try and, like, get your entire party shot or captured or fall down a well or whatever just so you can, like, kill the game and walk away as if it wasn't your fault. Just wait for the next coffee break or pass a note to the GM or have your friend phone up and pretend there's been a car crash somewhere. <laughs> All of these things will work. And they're going to leave. You, you can get out with good grace. And, and to your point of whether this happens enough, no, I don't think it does. I've sat through games before where I wish I could have got that time back and I wish I'd been braver. Having said that, I've seen people who look like they're having a dreadful time at the game, but they're the first ones to shake your hand afterwards, despite having said nothing out loud for three hours. It's very peculiar. You can't really tell what's behind someone's eyes when they're playing. It comes down to social contact stuff, though. You know, you've got to learn to be a, a grown-up in a grown-up world before you play games, perhaps. Well, I think it would help if people were kind of enabled uh, when they're players as well, not necessarily just GMs. I think that's something that's happened broadly. You talk about problem players, whatever the problem might be, Quite often, everybody looks at the GM as the kind of social figurehead. Oh, yeah. Even if normally they might not be the leader of that group, as soon as you sit behind the GM screen or at one end of the table, all of a sudden you're responsible for all social behaviour and if anyone's drinking too much or yeah. telling someone they're being a knob if they are being kind of thing. And you don't tend to get a lot of backup, I've noticed. I've had more games where I'm sat around trying to do that adult conversation thing and I've got five other people all kind of like really interested in their fingernails or a rule book mm -hmm. or what's on the phone or something rather than just kind of like backing up or you know giving some sort of response or even speaking at all because then you start to worry don't you if you've called someone out for their behaviour and no one says anything you think well is it me then is it just me that's calling someone out was that alright and I've overstepped a mark now 
But if you don't get any feedback, you don't know if you're doing the right thing or not, do you? It's just awkward. It's just horrible, awkward silence. Um, and you're right, it's always the GM. And that comes from like home practice as well, doesn't it? Where the GM is also the social secretary and very often the host and, you know, herds everybody together by email um, and, you know, has to provide just everything. And, you know, in the nicest ideal world, everybody would have a shared responsibility for fun and plenty of rule books write it down on page one these days for good reason. But the reality is it always becomes the GM's job. Um, I, I think if I were a player and I saw... Uh, confrontation is not the right word, but if I saw that kind of challenge from usually the GM to another player, I'd like to think I'd back them up because you know the GM's probably right in this regard. You hope so, because if the GM's wrong, you've got a real big problem at the table. If you, five players versus GM is no kind of fun at all. But you, you are right, mate. I mean, there's um, I can think of one circumstance fairly recently where there was a player-on-player -player challenge uh, you might have seen some as well, Gaz. Tell me if you have. But the one I saw, and I, and since I've had my eyes open to it, I kind of see it more and more. And it was never on my list of problem behaviours till quite recently. And that is one player trying to play the person next to them's PC. So <laughs> let's just say it's me and some bloke called, I don't know what I'll call him. I shall call him Moonboy for no other reason. That's the name that popped into my head. So I'm sitting next to Moonboy. Uh, initiative has passed to me in some trad game or whatever it is. It's basically it's my go, and he's had his go. And even before I get to speak my action, which I've probably waited a few minutes and stored up in my head, Moonboy has leant over. He's poking at things on my character sheet. He thinks he's being super helpful and engaging, and get. It. But what he's basically doing is like crowding me out. Uh, and and even even worse than that is. Sometimes his idea is quite good, but it means it's utterly ruled out, and I can't say it now because that wasn't that wasn't my go. And I've seen it happen a few times, and I've actually had to say out loud on a couple of occasions at a couple of cons, look, look, you play your character, okay? When it's your go, crack on. I've just got my own ideas. You have to be very, very nice about it, but sometimes nice doesn't get through, and it has meant... I've had to like pass a note on occasion, much to my shame, but it's very rare, but it is behaviour I see more and more. I don't know, do you ever see that? Do you notice it from, from behind the GM screen? Yeah, loads. Ah, right. Yeah, so I, I didn't think it was so that not. common, but maybe it is. Yeah, sometimes people say stuff. Sometimes. I think one of, one of the more recent ones I had, uh, it was Pendragon, so there's certain nightly behaviours you're supposed to follow. Hmm. Um, and... One character was doing stuff that, I guess, strictly by the book, wouldn't be knightly, I guess. And another player was kind of up in arms about it uh, and got quite sort of shirty almost. With a, and, and from their point of view, what was happening was another character, another player wasn't acting in character. So they might as well be looking at a wristwatch or something because it was breaking their immersion, for want of a better word, or their feel for how the game should go. <clears throat> so you've got a weird situation there where the game is not right for one person, but then the domino effect is that they then express their displeasure and, and cause a problem for someone else. Yeah, And it was kind of left to me as GM to sit in the middle trying to mediate it out, hoping to buoy one player up because they'd just been told off while play a certain other one so they didn't keep kicking off and that sort of thing. Mm. But I saw it as well at um, you know Seven Hills and a, a couple of others where one player knows what the best moves are, has played a game before, knows the best mechanics or options, and they are trying to... Like you said, I think trying to be helpful or, or, or they can see the obvious best move in terms of mechanics and so they're trying to tell someone else to do that. But people want to play their own character. Of course they do. Like you say, if there's six of you around a table as players, so you only get like one minute out of every six, when it's your minute, you want to get to say what you do. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the exactly right thing to do or not, or just in your character, it's what's put in your head. You should get the opportunity to have your say. That's, it's a collaborative hobby and... You know, that's the way it is. As long as someone's not deliberately going out of their way to try and mess things up in inverted commas, which, again, I, well, I suppose one one good example of messing things up, which isn't actually necessarily breaking what's happening in the game for most people, it's those kind of low wolves. That's my next sort of category, I would say. I've got that on my decides, list. Yeah, I've got that one all right. You know, <laughs> five people are going off on a mission, and one of them decides, no, actually, I want to go search around the city and steal a bauble from a princess or something. And I don't understand 
quite what they see in their lonely fun. But you, you, you sign up to play a game and you've all got a mission, you all agree that you're going to play a certain way. Why does one player decide they want to do something entirely different on their own where they get all the glory? What's that about, Baz? It is all about, I'll tell you exactly what it's about, okay? <clears throat> it's when you're putting together your character, your character concept in your head. I think there's actually only so many concepts that people rock up to games with. And it, you could probably count them on the fingers of two hands. Um, and I won't go for them all. That's a different podcast. But one of them is Wolverine. And it, there's always one in every party. And there's always one at my weekly gaming group. And <laughs> God love him. It doesn't matter what game he's playing. He wants to be Wolverine. Because it's a really good archetype. It's, it is that super capable person who can have that kind of killer instinct, uh, kind of in a team, but too rebellious to really fit in a team. It's a cool archetype, and it works brilliantly in movies and in comics and in stories and in all of those things except role-playing games. And we, we often do that blur thing, you know, where we try and emulate some other media. But role-playing is its own thing, and not everything translates brilliantly, even though it looks like it should. And I think you've probably got a Wolverine in almost every role-playing session ever, even if it's not particularly action-adventure. But you're right, somebody wants to take it. And, and, and the worst bit is, that player has normally got loads of fantastic behaviours and good skills, and they think they're adding an extra dimension to the game by acting in that way. They reckon that being the sniper, in inverted commas, because you don't have to have a big gun to do it, but just sitting on a rooftop, scoping things out and then every two hours just when you say what's what's your what's your action and they just mime a head exploding in the distance they, they think that's really cool and, and maybe it is behind their eyes but to everybody else is you start shuffling your chair slightly away from them <laughs> because you're worried that they might be a bit like that in real life i don't know maybe that's just me but i think there's a wolverine in every party mate what do you reckon yeah i think uh one of my own experiences quite recently as well has been along the lines of the GM decided we're going to make characters at the table. Good, good uh, call. Oh no, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> that's another topic for a podcast, write that one down. Yeah, that's going on the list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't quite know how you then draw people in because I said a certain particular archetype or threw some ideas out there and the next person threw an archetype in and that fitted. And then the third person threw an archetype in and it was absolutely nothing to do with the first team. Ah. And you kind of think, what, which bit don't you get? So then you know, I started asking the questions along the lines of, so how does that fit in with what we're doing and all the rest of it? So oh, no, I just think it would be a cool idea. I think some people just go to games without the proper training. Is that the right expression? Or experience? Could be. But Could be. The, the, the idea that you all want to play together and you've got a common goal and you're trying to build a common story, some people, I think, still just like role-playing, have this idea of what it is, is you turn up with your character and do what you want and don't really buy into the the idea that you're all there to try and work together in some way. Because another excuse for doing different things, uh, and this particular character did some of that, was like, well, my character wouldn't do that. Oh, man. Even though you sat down at the start of an adventure or a campaign at home or whatever and all decided the campaign you're going to play, you've all decided what sort of characters you are and who you work for and all that kind of stuff. And then straight away, they start blocking things by saying, well, my character wouldn't do that, even though they've made a character with all the decisions in advance made up. So I don't understand what they're... Is that a problem player there? Because that's if you've agreed socially amongst yourselves what you're going to do and they do something different, is that them being a problem on purpose? Or yeah. what? You Yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's basically whatever you do is a problem if you're in the minority... And if the majority are feeling uncomfortable with what you've just done or you want to do. And it's going to be, you know, it's always going to be shades of grey with a lot of stuff and setting the expectations at the start of the game is going to be really important. And that expectation might be as much as saying we're playing this game. Um, you know, if you drop a copy of Empire the Masquerade on the table, you're setting up an expect expectation uh, of the kind of game you want. If you drop Hot War on the table, you're put in a completely new different set of expectations on there. So the behaviour in the game has got to line up with the largely unspoken contract that you've all done, which is let's play this game. And if you do stuff that, that isn't, isn't part of that, then you are a problem. 
Uh, but but that's okay if the problem is temporary or the problem can be addressed because I don't want anyone to think during any of this that these things are fatal to game sessions because they're really not. They can be. They can be like you know a kind of a, a horrible disease within the game that festers and gets worse if unaddressed. But with a lot of the things that we've discussed just now, like that kind of it's what my character would do, it can be resolved in two seconds and sometimes with a look or just a really... And, and that might be all it takes. You know, I don't know what it is about gaming as well that people very often don't want to do take backs. They don't want to go, oh, no, actually, no, that was rubbish. No, I'm not doing that at all. That was absolutely stupid. Can I get a rewind? And generally speaking, people are going to be absolutely cool with that. So it doesn't have to be fatal, but you've just got to have that awareness, haven't you, of, of what are you contributing to that bit that hovers above the middle of the table, which is kind of where the game sits, that sort of shared mind space. If you're contributing positively and you've got to you know, read your audience, happy days. Very difficult to do it consistently. You know, there'll be loads more discussion about that, I'm sure. But yeah, if you are taking away the majority fun, I think you're a problem. And I think you have to admit it to yourself, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, excuse me, I've got a bad throat today. Um, one of the things that I think... I mean, I've, I've done that in some games, uh, certainly playing a Cthulhu or something like that, and there's, there's twinkling lights up in the forest, but I'm bedding down for that. And the gem is along the lines of, are you going to have a look then? It's like, no, no. why would you do that? That's, yeah. that's stupid. <laughs> I'm definitely not doing that. Which could be a problem if everybody did it. But as long as one of the characters is interested in going and having a look or has a reason to or something like that, are you going up the next day? I think that's where it can you can keep the game moving along. So if I'm the problem player going, no, I'm not going to investigate that, as long as the GM can sucker someone else into doing it or encourage someone to do it or they volunteer that sort of behaviour, then the game moves along and that's fine. If you've got a player who won't engage or likes to try and cover themselves and won't get into any sort of dangerous situation, hmm. I think as you just start encouraging other players in. and It's either your problem player is going to get involved because you keep shutting them out of things, you give them options and they don't take them, so you give other people limelight all the time. Or they'll be happy. They'll think, you know, they're fine turtling up in the car and not going into the mansion. Which, if they're happy with it, and it means that the other players get lots of action and you get the game moving along. I think that's that's fine, really. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say is I've, I've seen GMs try to. I think I've done it as well in the past. Because as you've said, some players don't want to engage that much. They quite like listening to the story and they don't want to say a lot. And I've had quiet players and wanted to draw them in and try, you know, really, really hard to keep drawing to these these players and sometimes they just don't want to sometimes they have nothing to say and a problem for a gem can be sometimes you're trying too hard to drop people in that don't want to be drawn yes yeah yeah i could totally see that mate and, and, and you know what that's fighting a losing battle i i we come back to that thing about it's only a problem if it's a problem so if someone's being quiet and not engaging that doesn't necessarily derail anybody else's fun at all the GM might be thinking, oh, come on, I've put loads of effort into this scenario. I'm trying to be wildly entertaining and I'm trying to make sure that I've sat everybody in the right places and that everybody gets an opportunity. So you might feel like you're being, you know, a little bit shunned by the quiet player. But let's face it, they're not actually getting in anyone's way. Uh, and if they're if their quiet fun is fun that they're having, then no one's really lost, you know. So, and I, and I think that about quite a lot of stuff. I've become more tolerant as I get older, unbelievably. So I can deal with people being on the phone a bit more than I used to, and I can deal with people building dice towers. And I can definitely deal with the quiet player who at least rocks up and usually brings snacks, but they haven't taken anything away from the game. So, you know, I've got to be careful with myself, guys, same as you have, that in my wilder days of a younger GM where I used to insist on quality control at all points around every table you just don't get that and and I think you know if people are rocking up their version of fun might not be the same as mine but if they're not stopping me having fun they're not preventing it crack on you'd be as quiet as you like as long as you bring some biscuits at least yeah I think that makes a lot of sense so how do you handle things certainly as a, a convention GM probably more because when you've got the luxury of time at home you can have more conversations but what if all or most of the players seem to be a problem? What if the game doesn't seem to be snapping for you or no one's really biting anything? No, you have to push players all the time. Is that actually a problem? Do you check if the players are actually enjoying themselves? And if they are, do you sort of suck it up as a GM and, and let things roll because they're happy enough, even if you're 
feeling quite flat, like you, you're throwing loads out there and getting nothing back. Yeah, it's tricky, especially at a con. It's really tricky because by the definition that I said a couple of minutes ago, if you're the minority and what you're doing is not making the game better and you're the GM, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, yeah, it's a problem. Um, uh, and luckily, it's a problem that can be solved. But, yeah, if you find yourself in that position, I think you've got to cut your losses. You've certainly got a timeout. You've definitely, definitely got to do that, if only for your own sanity. Um, and that's a trick I've picked up over the years as well. I used to think that, that only a professional proper GM, which is what I've always wanted to be, uh, they would never stop like those marathon runners who won't walk ever. Otherwise, they haven't done a marathon. They will never stop. Four hours, start to finish. Don't break character. Don't stop for a drink. Uh, if you need a wee, hold it in, right? And do all the voices all the time. And then when you get to the end of four hours, you die on your feet and you get wild applause and that's it. Well, that's that's not what real adult gaming is like, I'm afraid. So, you know what? You've got to stop for a comfort break and you need to get a coffee in on more than one occasion. And and you've got to have a little break for, for mentally as well. I wouldn't drive anywhere for four hours without a break. Why would you do this? You wouldn't be allowed to do it at work. Human resources would be all over your department if you were just slogging yourself to death without a break every few hours. So take that break. Because that's the time when you get to have a bit of a mental recharge and you can check the room and you can see whether it's working or not. And you know what? If it isn't, go back to your players and be honest. And I think they'd thank you for it. I would, because if it wasn't singing and dancing for me and I was too nervous to get up and go, if after 90 minutes the game's a complete car crash and it just isn't happening, I'd love it if everybody had the balls to say this game isn't working. You've still got time to do something else with your slot. You know, whether it be board gaming or hooking up with some mates or getting in the bit of shopping that you never got to do in the rest of the con. It, I don't think it ever happens. I think games just keep on going, even the poor ones where no one's particularly enjoying it. Uh, and I can see why that happens, because it's the whole value for money thing again. But nah, kill it. This dog is dead. Kill it. So that's the conversation about a lonely GM who needs to be taken out back and shot, or the game does at least. Yeah. So what when you've got the people that are really helpful, you and I both used to work for GWE, and you uh -huh. used to have your regulars that come in, and they want to show everybody how to play a game, they tell everybody about their army as soon as you looked at a blister pack, and you sometimes they get the same sort of thing as well at conventions. When you're running the game, and they want to tell everybody about the advanced options and the rules and the background and who was the king of this country 30 years ago and how the history is brilliant, <laughs> yeah. and can't but help, Try and expand on the background, the rules, telling people what to do, what they should do, what their character did. How hard or aggressively do you go after someone who's all they're doing really is showing loads of enthusiasm and really trying to help, but probably getting in the way a little bit? Yeah, yeah. It, it, talk about you know good intentions gone wrong, uh, and that happens a lot. I I keep coming back to this thing: if you've got like a problem, a problem player or a problem behaviour. You've got to figure out, first of all, is it a problem with the person or is it a problem with their performance? So is it just so if someone stinks, literally stinks, that's got nothing to do with their ability as a gamer. OK, and nothing you can do in game is going to make that person smell any fresher. Right. So there's that. And if someone is doing stuff in the game, like the lone wolf scenario that we talked about before, you can influence that in the game, but it doesn't work the other way around. So what you've got with that example that you give me there is the hardest one of all, because you've got someone who's got some real life behaviors, which is oversharing, essentially, you know, too much enthusiasm, you know, need to just tone it down a little bit. You can't address that with game stuff. You could be tempted to because it's safe and you would use your gaming system as kind of a comfort blanket or plausible deniability. You know, you could have some sage show up in the game to tell them how wrong they are. <laughs> and then you just get into like a knowledge war. But actually, you need to address that kind of behavior in real life, which is very tricky to do. Um, and then because the person's using all of their knowledge of the game as well, and they could be helping out the games world, you can try and affect that with some game life too. So it's the trickiest one of all. But as with most stuff, try and speak to someone as an adult and just talk to them as a human being to another and time it out. Again, don't be afraid to just put a little bit of a pause in the game. 
the other four or five people around the table might sort of like go, what? And be looking at each other and wondering what's going on. But in less than a minute, you could take that person to one side, make a bloody diplomacy role for once in your life, and you will get the result that you want. That person will not be upset. And, and, and those lessons are not for us to tell people about how to how to address that sort of thing, except to say, you know, listen, you're doing me a great favour here. You obviously understand this world really well, but just to let you know, we've got some people here. I want them to sort of learn it by themselves as well, because they've got their players are new to this and we're all together. So help me out when I give you the nod, because I've got some stuff coming up later that you might be really good at. But just for now, let them make a few mistakes here yeah? and we'll give each other the wink when it happens. All right back to the table. Now, that's not perfect, and that's off the top of my head, but that's got to be less than 30 seconds. And no game will break from a 30-second pause. It really won't. Take it. Have a word with the person. And yeah, it comes down to you. Of course it does. You're the one who spotted it. you got to do it. There's no other way to do it. What do you think, guys? Is there another way to do it? I can't think of one. Well, I think that was a really good idea. I'm going to use that. Stolen. <laughs> I'll give you the wink when we need some particular information. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know how else you Like you say, it just comes down to having those human conversations. And I think it's really weird. I think the problem we've all got at conventions, and I know you've got a lot better at it, is when you turn up to a table, you say, hello, I'm Baz, I'm your GM. Mm. And that's something I've forgotten to do I don't know how many times. And it's one of those weird things with role players. You'll sit down at a convention game. You might know some people. A lot you won't know. And then straight away, someone just says, what dice are we rolling? And you kind of get into it. Mm. And no one actually says, hello, or what's your name? So I, you know, I had to make a point of go around and say, sorry, what's your real name? I call everybody by the character all the way through the session. But I think we're missing some of those human interactions. And I don't know whether that then makes it more difficult when you want to have a quiet word with someone and say, can you tone it down or, or that sort of thing. It's harder if you've not even just said, like, what's your name? It must or be. got... Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you've you've sort of we've sort of set ourselves up for falls like many times by just it seems to be like going to dinner party and saying can you pass the salt and then we start eating and there's none of the introductions or the aperitif first we just have a bit of a a talk so you, you, that you understand people on a human level and get some kind of read. I think that's probably something worth introducing for people to be honest. Is just having that, like I say, just a couple of minutes at the start just to say hello. And then that makes any future conversations going to have that little bit easier. Yeah, of course it does. You're absolutely right, mate. I mean, how many times have you seen the game completely fixed after the game is over? Because everybody goes to the bar, or some do, and that's when you finally find out what people are like. You do a bit of handshaking and you find out what people enjoyed, what they didn't, and you, and, and you feel stupid after spending four hours of fairly intense emotional activity with someone saying, so, sorry, what's your name again? Oh, it's Ben. Oh, right, I didn't know. And you shake hands and so on. You see it on the forums where people are posting like weeks after the event with their reviews of the game and they go, sorry, I don't know who it was I played with. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird to do all that backwards. So I tell you what, one of the best things you can do, because we, we do talk about cons quite a lot, because I think that's where a lot of our audience is, probably both of them. Um, but with cons, that slot zero, that Friday night or Thursday night, depending what the con is, you kind of got to get out there. And you've got to do a bit of socialising. Sorry, time to make a charisma check. But it's got to be done because it will really help. If you can pre-meet some people who are in the game, maybe get a little bit excited about it. And there might even just be some forum interaction because there will be some about upcoming games. And just, you know, use that as an icebreaker so that when you get to the table, it's not going in cold. You've only got a few hours. So, um, you know, I'm amazed some games hang together at all, given the fact you put six hungover, sweaty, unsocial strangers into a terrible atmosphere. How does anyone get a good game out of that? It's a miracle at all. It's magic. Yeah, I went to Condown recently in Amsterdam, second time I've been, mm. and one of the really good things I liked about that, and it was all ad hoc, I think, but it certainly encouraged and facilitated by the organisers that they brought some games as well. It does seem to be a ton of little card and board games that don't take more than 15, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour to play. And they were constantly being broken out. So you'd have a gap of a couple of hours between two sessions. And there'd be some guys playing Avalon. There'd be some guy playing some Samurai Dice game. There'd be some guy with Colt Express and the latest thing from Essen. And there was just loads of that stuff going on. I think having those little games in between. I know it's hard at some conventions. You've only got an hour or less and you're trying to run around and organise your next game. But 
just having some pick and play games where you can, if you don't know anyone as well, particularly, you can just say, look, I've got this thing, he wants a quick game, and have your 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. I think that helps give you a bit of interaction and, and meeting a few people and having something common to talk about, if nothing else. So, yeah, take some little games or see if the organisers will stick on some kind of board game or things like Two Rooms and a Boom, which you can play with up to 30 people or something ridiculous, which is just really a bit of a simplistic card game where you try and work out who the president is and who a bomber is and try and put them in different rooms and shift people around. But that that's not a role-playing game per se. But within half an hour, you can get 30 people all talking to each other. Some people don't like icebreakers, so I'm not saying make it compulsory. But I definitely have things that are available to play. Pick up and play games. Bits of things. For, so for people who don't like a fight or don't necessarily feel comfortable chatting to strangers, give them something to do that will put them in the situation where they are talking to those people. Yeah, At least it creates some bonds there. It's um, It's preparation, really, isn't it? It's... You know, that prep you do for the game you're going to run is one thing, but you kind of got to prepare for the social environment as well. You're going to be going in with a bunch of strangers and and please don't anybody be put off by going to cons by what we're saying because this, these these problems are vanishingly rare, genuinely. Um, I think there are a tiny, tiny percentage of the games that we play, but they can have a big effect. Um, and I think they're quite easy to deal with if you do your prep. So I think you've got to do your social prep I mean, sort of getting to know people, you know, offering your hand, wondering about making yourself known. It can be really simple things like if you're part of an Internet community and I don't do this enough, but, you know, try using your real name instead of your weird Internet handle and putting your photo on there instead of like a picture of a cartoon robot or other such craziness. Just so people know who you are, because, you know, people in real life are different to their computer life. And then and this brings us all the way back to, you know, the art of running games. I think one of the things that GMs can do to really assist with this is if you're bringing a game to a con, run the game kind of like its reputation would have you believe that it's going to be run. So what I mean is if you're going to show up with some weird hack on Firefly that's got nothing to do with the movie or the TV show and is using, I don't know, Marvel superheroes saga edition as the rule set, that might have looked great in your bedroom when you were plotting it. But the chances are you've got a bunch of people who have sat down to play it who weren't quite expecting that. And and then your chances of getting a good game out of it are going to be even more difficult. So I think you've kind of got to advertise your wares the way that trading standards would have you do it. Because that's going to stop with maybe some of those sort of jittery bits at the beginning. Because I remember signing up for a game at a Gen Con years ago, which was advertised as, uh, I think it was called uh, D&D Fun. And my takeaway from that title was that it was nothing to do with the tournaments that were on at that weekend, because you can get properly into D&D if you want to. God knows I have. Um, but there was a whole bunch of tournaments that weekend and Masters Challenges and one-on-one -on -one duels. And fun was set in for the last day of the con, which I presumed meant that it was just going to be casual. But oh no, instead we were playing children's TV characters from the 70s. And that was about as much fun as it sounds. And seriously, 20 minutes in, I wanted to kill myself and kill everybody else so there was no witnesses to it because it was the it just wasn't for me. No one's fault except the person who advertised it. It was in no way a game from its title. Now, were there problems at the table? Was I a problem player? I probably was for the GM because I wasn't really liking it. Um, and the rest of the table were a problem for me because we weren't. it just wasn't going to fly. Um, and that could have been so easy to solve. So there's so many different layers of prep, and it all comes down to that kind of being honest with people about what you want to do. Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, I started putting tags on things on my, my sign-up sheets just to give a basic idea of uh, what it was going to be about. So if I run a pirate game, if I put outrageous accents down, then that gives people some kind of indication of what sort of pirate game it's going to be. And not a particularly serious one necessarily. Or, which you know, it gives people scope for a bit more outlandish characters. Which is really interesting because if you do a normal pirate game and people do outlandish accents, and you were hoping for something a bit more historical, you might go, "Oh no, this is you've gone Gonzo on me. You're you're a real problem." And that that might not be the case at all. So that's a perfect example, isn't it, of like a tone that you want to get, and by putting those two words in your flyer, you've got more chance of getting it. Yeah. I think one of the other things I've mentioned is probably getting your, 
you've got to let go of your expectations yourself as a GM sometimes as well. You're going with a certain tone of how you expect something to happen. And then the players just run in a different direction. So you've not got to think, I've done it wrong, or they're getting it wrong, and there are a, a bunch of problems. You've kind of got to go with what happens at the table to a certain degree. And think that that's all right. You know, it's, it's as much as you've got your prep trying to get things right and get people in the right mindset when they sign up. Sometimes they just well, they'll have their own ideas about how, how things roll. And go with it, I guess. Or like you say, if, if it really comes down to it, it's that adult conversation again where you all look at each other and say, well, this isn't working, is it? And we go and play a game of cards, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, I mean, we, we talked about the con game quite a lot, where I think it's in some ways easier because you can advertise stuff and in some ways harder because you're going to get a bunch of strangers. So it, it brings its own challenges. I think it's different if you've got a home game one that you're playing every week or couple of weeks and maybe over a sustained period of time, you know, it might be a series of mini campaigns or whatever. Would it be fair to say that generally speaking, if you're playing in a home session, you probably got your mates with you and they may not be necessarily super close friends. You might only meet for gaming, but you've got some, some relationships in there. I think those ones are going to be in some ways tougher to solve any problems that crop up, maybe in some ways easier because you've got that relationship already, but, what do you think, Gaz? Is it is it a tougher thing to solve if you've got like the four or five of you that meet up every week and have done for years? Potentially, yes. Gone through several gaming groups now, and with a lot of them, they tend to linger longer than they should. Some of them, mm. where it's obvious that two people have one style of play and another two people have another style of play, and then there's a poor sod on his own who has different than the other two altogether. And you keep playing together, and you keep swapping around who's gem, and you keep swapping around what game you play, and trying to solve this problem when actually it just comes down to you want different things. Some people want to hit things with their axe, and some people would have like relationship dramas, and some other guy wants to play Indiana Jones. And you, you end up with trying to use different systems, settings, different GMs, different lengths of games to try and solve a problem that is basically that you like different things. Some people like romantic comedies, and some people like horror movies. And if you're trying to find a film to see both, you'll end up with a film that neither really want you to see. Do you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I think it's... Broaching stuff can sometimes be easy with you, with people you know you've got a relationship with, but it might not be that they see it as a problem because everyone has their own set of values and stuff. And if you say, I want to do less of this and more of that, and they go, all right, yeah, I see where you're coming from, guys, but I don't, I want the other way around. Mm. Then where do you go from there, I suppose, is the problem. Yeah. You're then going to decide, as a bunch of players, are we all right with what we're doing? Is it good enough? Are we happy enough with what we're doing? Or, you know, we'll be better off playing board games which is what's happened with a few groups right now. Yeah, good enough gaming is the curse of the home game, isn't it? I think um, I, I, I think you're dead right, mate. It's easier to let, let things slide, isn't it? Because you don't really want to damage that that friendship that exists outside of gaming. You know, the people you go to the movies with and you go to the birthday parties, this, that and the other, which, you know, those have got real value. And you may have spent a lifetime building that kind of stuff up. So... You know, why put that at jeopardy just by complaining about the way they always play their bard? You know, it doesn't seem worth it, does it? But equally, if your friendship's that good, maybe it would survive a little bit of a challenge. You know, I just don't like the way you play that bloody bard, mate. It does my head in. You know, that, that that's again, that's between friends to solve. But I think the techniques remain the same. I think if you've got a problem with a personality, nothing you do in-game is going to fix that. And God knows I've done that as well. You know, you mentioned it too. Just swapping systems every two weeks to try and find the system that is going to suddenly encourage this person to play in the manner that you want. Good luck. It ain't going to happen, okay? Um, and there's, you know, there's a whole other subject in there about how you incentivize the kind of play you want to see, which is just weird uh, when in comparison to just asking the person. But, you know, you can't, you just can't do it. I, I've, I've gamed with some of the people in my group I've gamed with for more than 20 years. I don't try and change the way they play. And I haven't done for some time. And I regret ever having done it because it clearly isn't going to happen. And do you know what? They haven't changed me either. So that's not going to happen. What we can do is we can find some good compromises. And we do. We do find some good compromises. So, you know, clearly I'm sure everybody shouted this out when you said it at the screen, but the mix of rom-com and horror is Shaun of the Dead, which is a bloody good film. And it does work. And there may not be many of them like that, but it's possible. And as long as that isn't just, you know, 
good enough gaming, as long as it still stands on its own two feet, I think that's pretty cool. So a system probably does exist out there for you, but don't spend forever just trying to find it. You know, it, it's get something that works and is better than good enough and crack on with your mates. I think that's fair enough. I think there are, there are as you mentioned a bit earlier, very few and far between these uh, problem players and inverted cameras. There aren't many that are genuinely idiots out there. There are one or two, because in any social group or workplace or wherever, you always get one or two that want to mess about. But generally speaking, most people might just have a slightly different set of values than you or what they consider to be fun or how they like to roll their dice or pretend to be an elf. So it really just comes down to having those grown-up conversations with people and just laying it bare. I think we're all a little bit awkward about doing it sometimes because you don't want to upset anyone or cause any a scene in the game or cause any atmosphere or worry about anything like that. But really, like you say, I think a lot of it lands properly. As long as you're quite respectful and courteous and just say, like, this is where I'm coming from, can we get somewhere in the middle? I think that'll line out a lot of the problems, certainly in a short-term game, like a con game. Most people can behave themselves for a couple of hours, even if it's more difficult trying to get someone to change how they play a campaign for a year. Mm. I think certainly with strangers, it seems more awkward to approach them. But like you say, if, you, if you're actually just a genuinely nice person and use a bit of respect and courtesy to get your view across while not tramping on their views, you can normally reach some kind of smoother sailing than you have been if you think there's some kind of problem. Yeah, I think that's right, mate. I, I think, you know, let's not make mountains out of molehills here. Most of this stuff is is fairly trivial, and that maybe is why it doesn't get addressed. Um, but that's a shame, because by addressing it, your game could go so much smoother. Um, none of this is to rule out, though, and you mentioned it yourself, none of this is to rule out the fact that just occasionally there are absolute bona fide idiots out there in the world, and nobody deserves to have to game with these idiots. And I'm talking about, you know, violent people or people who just want to be sexist or racist or just jerks, really, at the gaming table. It happens. doesn't happen often, but when it does, oh, man, it's like a punch-up at a wedding. You know, nobody likes it. Um, and you know what? Don't tolerate it. Stand up and walk away if no one else is going to do anything about it and you don't feel that you can. If you're at a con, there's always organisers, and cons these days are, are very, very aware of the kind of behaviour that is and is not acceptable. It's vanishingly rare. I say it again. You've got, you, you wouldn't put up with it in your home. You don't have to put up with it in a public place. Um, it's only a role-playing game, for goodness sake. There'll be another one along in a couple of hours. So if you've got to walk out, then that's what you've got to do. But nobody should feel belittled or, or God help us, unsafe. So, you know, that would be my caveat to the whole thing. And, and that's nothing that is certainly, again, going to be solved by a new rule system. So, you know, <laughs> put your D20s away, put everything away, get up and walk away, and that will solve that entire issue. That sounds very fair and good advice there, Baz. Uh, well, I think that's just about it for now, to be honest. We've come up to an hour mark, so unless you have any further comments, I think we should wrap up. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what the Smart Party would do. So um, I guess we'll see everybody next time with uh, with more answers to gaming's perennial problems. And as always, if you have any comments or feedback, please leave it on the forums. Cheers, everyone. Bye for now.